Look with me this morning, please, Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4, and we'll begin our reading We'll begin our reading in verse 1. Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Yodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men, the Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's bow together in prayer. Father, Again, we pause these moments to thank you for your goodness and mercy and for the opportunity to open the Word of God this morning, for the privilege it is to proclaim your truth. I pray that we might have discernment as provided by your Spirit, that you would, Lord, give us understanding of that which is before us in your Word this morning, and that we would receive it with joy, and that we would receive it with thankful hearts, but that it also may take root, and that it might sprout forth into bringing forth good fruit in our lives as we who are followers of Jesus Christ. Thank you again for the opportunity to gather with your people. May we not take this time for granted, but may we we embrace the opportunity, embrace the privilege it is to gather as a body of Christ. And may your word have its perfect way within our hearts and lives. Lord, again, that as we abide in Christ, continuing in him, that the fruit of the Spirit of the Lord Jesus, be evident and manifested through our lives within this world in which we live. And we ask this all according to your will and unto your glory, for it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you and be seated. Last week we began to examine the eighth of the ten major divisions within this epistle, as I outlined for you in the early stages of our study of this epistle of Paul to the church at Philippi, which consists of chapter 4, verses 1 through 7, which we've read this morning. This, again, is the eighth of the ten major divisions within this epistle. Chapter 4, of course, is the final chapter uh, within the epistle. And we see the excellency of the peace of God through or in Jesus Christ that is in chapter 4 in this passage. Now, the reference, as I told you before, the reference uh, to peace means harmony and tranquility, or calm and quietness. As I previously mentioned, what most people today refer to as peace is a subjective feeling. In contrast, true peace, that is, of course, of God, is not subjective. It's not based on feelings, but rather is based in faith. What's more is that there is no real peace until we experience peace with God. Paul wrote of such peace here in uh, verse 7 of Philippians chapter 4, whenever Paul writes and says, And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. 
As I mentioned last week, Paul explains that it is through the truths which he listed in verses 1 through 6 that this peace of God, which he mentions in verse 7, would be realized or experienced within the lives of the Philippian believers. While we recognize that one must possess this peace as provided by God through Jesus Christ, if one is to enjoy and experience this peace of God, this does not mean that everyone experiences or realizes this peace of God through Jesus Christ to the same degree at all times. Within verses 1 through 6, Paul provides a prescription for one to experience this peace of God as provided through Jesus Christ. And as I stated last week, the question is not then, do we have this peace of God as believers in Jesus Christ? But rather, the question is, how do we realize or how do we experience this peace of God throughout our lives? Within this passage, I believe, we find God's prescription for realizing this peace, which he has provided us in Jesus. Last week, we began our study of this eighth division by examining verse 1, in which we discover that God's peace is experienced as we remain steadfast. Look at verse 1 again. Paul writes, Therefore, my brethren dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. Within this verse, Paul is not exhorting this church at Philippi to begin to stand in the Lord, but rather to continue to stand fast. This is further understood by Paul's address to the church in chapter 1. In chapter 1, verses 3 through 6 of this epistle, Paul wrote, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all making request with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this very thing, that he which has begun a good work in you will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. This morning we continue in this passage, and we do so with the understanding that these verses consist of a pattern of what is necessary within our lives if we truly are to realize and enjoy this great peace which God hath provided us through Jesus Christ. So we see now not only that God's peace is realized, as we looked at last week, as we remain steadfast, as Paul stated in verse 1, but also God's peace is experienced as we maintain the unity of the Spirit of God. Verses 2 and 3, I beseech Yodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help these women, or those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. Paul's exhortation within these two verses is more than a call for those or others to help these faithful women. This is a call for the unity of God's Spirit to be maintained, not only by these women, but it also serves as an exhortation for all those who are followers of Jesus Christ to maintain the unity of the Spirit as commanded by the Lord. Paul's call for unity is indicated by several statements which he makes within these verses. First, he says that they be of the same mind in the Lord. Second, that they are true yoke fellow. 
Third, they labored with me in the gospel. And then fourth, he mentions these other my fellow laborers. So the first statement concerning unity, which Paul uh, makes as one which he has previously used in this epistle. In chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, Paul had written, If there be therefore any consolation in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any bowels and mercies, fulfill ye my joy that ye be like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord of one mind. When we studied chapter 2, of this epistle. I expounded upon Paul's use of the term like-minded in verse 2 by explaining the following. The Greek verb which is translated be like-minded is in the present tense active voice and subjunctive mood. And this means that the subject is performing the action at the moment and that it is an intentional action or intentional act. And so when Paul says be ye like-minded, it is an exhortation to be like-minded as they were but to be so intentionally And it's interesting as well that, of course, this is no new concept in Paul's teaching. But we find similar language Paul used in his letters to the Romans and the letter to the church at Ephesus. In Romans 12, 16, he said, Be of the same mind one toward another. Mind not high things, but condescend to men of low estate. Be not wise in your own conceits. Then Ephesians 4, 1-3, I therefore the prisoner of the Lord beseech you that ye walk worthy of the vocation wherewith ye are called, with all lowliness and meekness, with long suffering, forbearing one another in love, endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. Endeavoring, of course, here is that they are to endeavor, be diligent in maintaining the unity of the Spirit. And again, it, it, it's worthy for us to mention that this is not saying that they were to try to cultivate some false unity or some superficial unity, but rather he's saying maintain the unity that already exists. So again, just as with peace, we understand concerning the unity that Paul is mentioning now within this passage, that the unity that we experience is because of God's gift to us of his spirit. That is the unity. But then we are commanded by Paul in Ephesians to the church at Ephesus. Paul wrote, endeavoring or being diligent and and laboring and striving to maintain the unity of the spirit. So it's not producing something, it is rather acknowledging its presence through the Spirit of God and then maintaining that unity. So just as with peace, this unity is something that we already possess, but it does not mean that we all experience or realize this unity of the Spirit to the same degree at all times. We are commanded and exhorted to maintain this unity. And so the same is true with this peace, of course, that God has given us. We have this peace because we have the Spirit of Christ. Christ has died. He now dwells and risen in us as believers. So the peace of God is present. Not only the peace of God, which of course is necessary, but it's peace with God because of Jesus Christ. And so the peace is present within us as followers of Christ. However... That does not mean that we all daily are realizing this peace or experiencing this peace to the degree to which we are called to do so. Paul's exhortation to the churches to be like-minded or of the same mind or of one mind are focused, as we've seen in previous, previous studies of Philippians 2, on how every believer is to intentionally have the same perspective concerning how they are to view 
themselves and how they are to view others. In Romans 15, 5 through 6, Paul states, Now the God of patience and consolation grant you to be like-minded one toward another according to Christ Jesus. That or so that ye may with one mind and one mouth glorify God, even the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Notice what Paul says here. He says that you might be like-minded toward one another according to Christ Jesus, that ye be of one mind, one mouth glorifying God. Simon Peter also spoke of this like-mindedness within the same context as did Paul. 1 Peter 3, 8 and 9. Finally, be all of one mind, having compassion one of another. Love as brethren. Be pitiful, be courteous, not rendering evil for evil or railing for railing, but contrariwise, blessing, knowing that ye are thereunto called, that ye should inherit a blessing. Once again, as we consider what is at the core of Paul's exhortation as indicated in verse 5, when Paul said in chapter uh, 2 of verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, we understand that this is much more than a call for the believers to agree on matters of life, religion, or even matters of theology, as important as that is. This rather is an exhortation or a call for believers to intentionally live in the unity provided by God's Spirit, to maintain that unity as He has made us one in His Spirit, in His Son, our Lord Jesus Christ. Now again, Paul is saying, be like-minded, but he says, having the same mind, which was the mind of Christ. And then, of course, we refer to theologically as the Carmen Christi or the hymn of or hymn to Christ in chapter 2 in verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, in which Paul then is saying that Christ humbled himself. He became in the form of a servant, even to the point of death, and he took on the form of man, of course, yet he, of course, he is without sin, as we know. The point being that Christ humbled himself, and this is the mind that we are to possess as well. And when Paul uses the terminology like-minded, it is in reference consistently with the view we have of ourselves and the view of others, preferring others over ourselves, as did our Lord Jesus Christ, as he ultimately exemplified this truth in verses 5 and following in chapter 2 of Philippians. So in Philippians 4, Paul again writes of this like-mindedness in verses 2 and 3. He said, I beseech Yodius and beseech Sintichi that they be of the same mind in the Lord, and I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers, whose names are in the book of life. The term same mind, as used in chapter 4.1, means to think or to set one's mind on. And the term yoke fellow implies that one to be a companion or a partner. And the term fellow laborer implies that one is a co-worker. So he's saying... I beseech Yodius and beseech Sintichi, these women, that they think and set one's mind the same in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, companions and partners, to help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers or my co-workers whose names are in the book of life. So it's interesting, is it not, that Paul here recognizes those who are already faithful in the ministry of the gospel, and he exhorts them, the ones that are already serving and assisting in the work of the gospel, in the furtherance of the gospel, to continue to do so. 
He says, set your mind on the Lord. He further calls all others who were genuine companions and partners of Paul and to Paul that they might help those who labor with him in the gospel along with his other co-workers. So again, as we've seen so clearly throughout this epistle, we know that there is that which is inferior and that which is superior. Christ is superior to all other things. And the furtherance of the gospel is a superior work than to, compared to all other works. And so Paul is saying those who are already laboring in this work of the gospel continue therein, continue to labor, continue to work. So we see that God's peace as he has given it in Christ is experienced as first we remain steadfast as we saw last week in verse 1. Second, God's peace is experienced or realized as we maintain the unity of the Spirit. Again, a call of God to, for us to do that is in Paul's epistle in Ephesians 4 again. He says that we are to endeavor to keep the unity of the Spirit, to maintain. This is, so what could possibly hinder this unity? There's only one thing that really hinders this unity. There's just a lot of these one things. And that's you and me. We are what hinder the unity. It's already present. We hinder it. Whereas Paul is exhorting us to maintain it, to be conscious of this unity and to preserve and maintain and to cherish this unity. But then, of course, as well, third, God's peace is experienced when we express godly contentment and praise. Verses 4 and 5, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Now, this is a universal command. We know the context. We understand Paul is writing a letter to the church at Philippi. But, of course, this is handed down to us as well. And this is a a command, an exhortation for all believers. And that is that, verse 4 says, Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. So all believers are to not only find their joy in the Lord, but we are to continually express this joy, which can only be found in the Lord. We speak of the light of the gospel in a world of darkness, but do we not understand that the light of the gospel, of course, is the message of the gospel, the death, burial, resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ in a nutshell, summarizing the gospel. The gospel is more than that alone, but yet summarization of it. And that is definitely light and good news in a world that is filled with terrible news. Remember again that the good news is only good news because there's this horrible news that precedes or exists before the good news penetrates into a world that is filled with this horrible news. And the horrible news is that man is under condemnation. Man is under the judgment of God, impending wrath and judgment of God to be poured out. And yet, despite that, there is a provision made by this same God under whose wrath one abides under apart from Jesus Christ. And that that, that provision is the person of Jesus Christ. Again, in, in evangelization, in declaring the gospel, don't ever forget to first begin with the horrible news, else there's no reason for the good news. If every, look, if God just loves everybody and everybody's good like they are, everybody's fine like they are, then why do you need the gospel? Why do you need Jesus? Because we're already in good relationship with God to begin with. But the answer to that is absolutely not the case. This is not the case. Man is not in relationship with God. He's not in favor with God. The only favor of God is found in Jesus Christ. The love of God is demonstrated in Jesus Christ. So apart from Christ, you don't even know anything of the love of God. It's been demonstrated. It's been manifested, but you're not part of it. But in the person of Jesus Christ, we have received the love of God. So the bad news is this. It's you can't go to the world saying, oh, the light and darkness. You can't go to the world saying, oh, Jesus loves you. No, you go saying, look, 
You are under the wrath of God. You are separated from God in His holiness, and He is righteous, and He requires holiness, and will accept only righteousness and holiness. And here's the horrible news. You can't fix this. But then the good news that follows that is you don't have to fix it because God has provided in Christ for for redemption, for salvation. This is good news. So that's part of the good news and light into the dark world. But another way in which light is shown in a world of darkness. Well, let me say this to you. We live in a world that knows nothing of genuine joy. And we live in a world that knows nothing of genuine peace. Peace is just, again, a, a mere facade. Peace is nothing more than this mirage that looks like it's, it's easily attained or is at least possible to attain but yet when you get to that point, it's always, again, just beyond reach. And so in a world that is in absolute spiritual darkness, in a world that is in absolute spiritual chaos, in a world that is spiritually dead, in a world in which there is no real joy, in which there is no real peace, does it not stand to reason that we who possess such joy We who possess such peace should not only, as the Scriptures refer to it, hide this under a bushel, under a bucket, under a container, but rather we should be demonstrating, manifesting, realizing, and rejoicing in this peace of God in Jesus Christ and expressing the joy that this relationship and peace with God has provided. Do you not believe that that is light and darkness? Now, that's not to mitigate the gospel. The gospel is the true light. Christ is that light. But again, let me remind you of something. How dare we? How dare we go into a world proclaiming a truth that we don't live in? And how can we think that it is tolerable to just attempt to live in a truth that we don't proclaim? The gospel is not just something we live, it is that which we proclaim, but the gospel is not just something we proclaim, it is that which we live. And so the light is truly manifested not just in mere words that we proclaim, but the light is demonstrated and manifested within the life of the one who's proclaiming the gospel, and this gospel has transformed their life. And this is good news. This peace that God has given. He says, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. We experience this joy and this peace of God as we express godly contentment and praise. Throughout the scriptures, we find both in Old and New Testament believers rejoicing in the Lord despite difficult, frightful, and discouraging situations of life. This rejoicing of which Paul exhorts the Philippian believers is not sourced in one's comfort level nor the amount of ease and pleasure that one may experience in life. This joy, which is expressed through rejoicing, can only be present when one's life, in one's life when they find absolute contentment in Christ and in Christ alone. In other words, 
it's not the external situations or the temporal and physical situations or circumstances of life which generate, produce, or cultivate this joy or this peace. But it is this peace and this joy which absolutely changes our perspective of the external temporal circumstances of this life. Paul exemplified this truth in the following verses of chapter 4 of Philippians. Look at verses 9 through 13, and we've not read these yet. But Paul says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do. Now, wait a minute. Paul says, follow me, remember, as I am following after Christ. And Paul is not saying become a Paul, a Pauline disciple. He is saying be a disciple of Jesus as I am a disciple of Jesus. Be a follower of Jesus as I am a follower of Jesus. That's what Paul is saying. So then he says, the things that you've seen of me as an apostle, as one of those whom God chose to use to establish the foundation of the New Testament church upon which the cornerstone is Jesus Christ. It all hinges on him. And yet the truth and the doctrine came through the apostles who preached what truth and doctrine? Jesus. That's what they proclaimed. They proclaimed him and the gospel. And so Paul says, what you've both learned, received, and heard, and seen in me, do. Notice the next statement. And the God of peace shall be with you. Do you understand what Paul's saying? He's saying, when you follow after Christ, as we've seen already exemplified in these previous verses, leading us up to this point in our text this morning, Paul is saying, you want to experience this peace? You already have the peace. You want to realize this peace? Then follow after that you have seen me do, which he is proclaiming in this text. He is saying that we are to maintain that unity to realize this peace of God that he has given us. We are to be together in, as co-laborers in the work of the gospel. We are to express godly contentment and praise to the Lord. And we are to remain steadfast, unshaken, and unmoving. Paul says, verse 10 of Philippians 4, let's read verse 9 again and continue to read. Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. And again, to give you the context, we know that Paul received help from the Macedonian churches. He received help from, uh, uh, from the church of Philippi, the church of Thessalonica, all part of that region. And we know that he's saying, you wanted to continue to support the furtherance of the gospel in my ministry, but there was not opportunity for you to do so. He said, but I'm thankful and rejoicing now that that opportunity has once again been provided and opened by the Lord. So then Paul goes on to say, not that I in respect of one. So I'm not saying this because, oh, I need a lot and I'm desiring you come help me more. He's saying that's not why I'm saying this. For I have learned, Paul said, in whatsoever state I am, therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. But then verse 13, of course, as you know this verse, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Now again, contrary to popular belief today, this is totally radically taken out of context when it's talked about football, basketball, sports, or any other type of things that often it is attributed to. Paul is saying, 
here, here's the message, and I told you this last week. Uh, I believe I read this and told you this, but I, I think it's, it's worth underlining these words within this passage of Scripture to understand the emphasis and never forget the truth of which Paul speaks. He is saying in verse 11, not that I speak in respect of want, but then he says, for I have learned. I have learned. In the latter part of the verse, he goes on to say, to be content. And then in verse 13, he says, through Christ. And that is the message overall Paul is giving in this passage. He's not saying, oh, I can do anything I put my mind to. No, he is saying, I've learned no matter what the circumstance. I have learned the Lord has continually taught me and brought me, matured me to the point to where I find contentment in and through Christ and Christ alone. He wasn't looking for contentment anywhere else. And remember, this epistle, the epistle of Philippians, is one of the four prison epistles of Paul. So where is Paul when he's writing this? In prison. And he is saying, I have learned whatever state I am in, therewith to be content. I've learned to be content in and through Jesus Christ. That's what Paul is stating here. As we follow Paul's example, rejoicing in the Lord in all things. What is Paul doing? Verse 10 again of Philippians 4. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. That you now are able to once again minister. But I don't say that because I'm in need right now. I'm saying it because I desire that you do have a part in the gospel ministry to which I've been called. And that you are able to serve in such a capacity. And I rejoice that I have benefited from that. And what I've done through you. But I'm not saying this because I'm in need. I'm saying it because I am grateful. So we must learn, rejoice in the Lord in all things, learning to be content through Christ in all situations. We too, when doing so, not only can experience, but also can live in the truth and depths of the joy that is found only in the Lord. Paul goes on in verse 5 of Philippians 4, and he says, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. In verse 5, Paul reminds us of not only the importance but also the urgency concerning the matter of living in the peace and joy of the Lord. Look at Paul's exhortation first. He says, verse 5, Let your moderation be known unto all men. The noun moderation, it means gentle, kind, tolerant. Paul uses this term to incite the Philippian believers to express a gentle, a kind, a forbearing spirit before and unto all men. Paul explained the presence of this moderation in his life within the previous chapter. Back in chapter 3, verses 18 and 19, look at what Paul says. For many walk of whom I have told you often and now tell you even weeping that they are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, and whose glory is in their shame, who mind earthly things. So we as Paul are to possess this uncompromising boldness in declaring and defending the truth while also expressing a genuine brokenness for those who are enemies of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Again, I've said this to you before, and I'll say again, that I believe often we find ourselves on, on one of the two extremes of this, the spectrum. We find ourselves either so bold in the truth that we have no brokenness for others who are outside of the truth, or we find ourselves just broken by the truth, but yet like the boldness in defending and declaring the truth. No, it's not one or the other, it's both. If there was anyone bold in the gospel of Jesus Christ, it's the Apostle Paul without question. Who else could be compared to Paul in his boldness? Remember, before Paul was an apostle, Peter was, was he not? 
And you remember Peter goes and rebukes Paul, or Paul goes and rebukes Peter. Why? Because Peter is catering to the Jewish uh, people in, in areas in which Paul says, no, you, you should not be doing this, Peter. Paul was bold in the gospel and bold in the truth, and he would approach his brothers, and he would approach the churches, and he would defend the truth of Christ. But at the same time, Paul had this brokenness about him and a grief over those who were not part of the gospel, those who were apart from the gospel of Jesus. But then we also see Paul's reminder of urgency when he says, the Lord is at hand. Well, what does Paul mean in this? Well, this is a reminder of the importance to immediately respond to the charge which Paul has given within this verse. We are to exemplify the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, who dwells within us as He has both commanded and equipped us to do so by providing His Spirit and the power of His Spirit to and within every believer in Jesus Christ. For our Lord is at hand. In other words, what Paul is saying, saying is the judge of all eternity is at hand and we will stand before Him. James also wrote of the importance of demonstrating the same spirit of gentleness in view of the Lord's return. In James 5, 8, and 9, James says, Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. We can only experience or live in this peace of God as we submit to His Spirit who dwells within us, as the Lord has demonstrated gentleness, grace, and forbearance with us, so we also are to demonstrate the same towards others. Remembering that soon our Lord will return and call us to Himself. So how do we realize this peace? How do we experience this peace? It's present. The question is not, are you at peace with God if you are a believer? Now, if you don't know the Lord Jesus Christ, I can clearly say to you, you are not at peace with God, you do not possess the peace of God, and you are under the impending wrath and judgment of God, which will be revealed at the righteous day of judgment. But if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, it's not, do you have peace? If you are a follower of Christ, you do have peace, and you know that. But that does not mean that we all experience and realize that peace to the same degree at all times. So what is the answer? Look, it's really this simple. While many would say, well, when you start doing this and start doing that, and we say, wait a minute, but Paul said, follow that which I do. But what did Paul just say? He said that we are to maintain steadfast, that we are to maintain the unity of the Spirit, that we are to join together in the work of the gospel. Did he not? He he, he says that we we are to rely as we'll see in a moment, on the Lord with thankful hearts, and we are as well to give praise, express godly contentment, and praise to the Lord. So when he says, these are the things that you must do, these are things as I have done that you also must do if you want to realize and experience this peace. And so it would be easy for us then to sit down and say, okay, well, how can I better do this, and how can I better do that? Here's the real simple answer to this. Are you ready? And Jesus speaks of this in John 15, of course. He says, without me, you can do nothing, of course, concerning the vine and the branches. Here's the real issue, and I told you earlier, in maintaining the unity of the Spirit, uh, there's only one, really one problem. It's just there's many of these one problems, and that's each and every one of us. So how do we realize and how do we experience this joy and this peace of God that has been given to us? Here's the simple answer. It's not do, 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 this, that, and the other. Get out of the way. Because the Spirit of God has already given this peace to you, 
You are what hinders this peace from being realized in your life. It's not follow a bunch of rules and laws and everything Paul has said. You know what that is? That's us getting out of the way. Think about this for a minute. When Paul is in prison writing this epistle and he says, I'm not in need, but I am expressing thanks that God has opened the window of opportunity for you to again join me in the work of the gospel. And he says, I have learned in whatever situation, whatever condition I am in to be content through Jesus Christ. You know how Paul can say that? Because Paul got out of the way recognizing that though he did not desire to be in prison and he would have much rather been with this Philippian church or with the church at Ephesus or with other churches to which he ministered and God used him to establish, that was not what was needful at that time. What was needful was for Paul to be in prison for the purpose of God to be perfected and completed in Paul's life and as well within the lives of these churches. So Paul therefore could say, I'm getting out of the way. This is not what I would want. This is not what I would desire. But God, give me grace to get out of the way that your joy and your peace and the light of the gospel might continue to be demonstrated in this darkness in which we live. Let me say it to you like this. When it comes to the unity of the Spirit, when it comes to the joy of the believer, when it comes to the peace of God, which we as believers experience or have, you are not the answer to the problem. You are the problem. It is Christ who's the answer to the problem. We create the problem. He is the answer. So let us get out of the way. Let us submit ourselves that we might realize and enjoy this peace of God as he has provided for us to do. We're going to look forward uh, next week in the text, verses 4 and 5. I'll mention this briefly, where Paul says that God's peace is experienced when we express godly contentment and praise, verses, I'm sorry, 4 and 5, and then in verse 6, I'm sorry, be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. And that is that God's peace is experienced when we rely on the Lord with thankful hearts. When we are relying upon the Lord, we are resting and trusting in Christ, we experience this peace. I believe this entire verse in verse 6, and I'm getting ahead of myself just a little, and all its truths can be summarized within one statement. A thankful heart that is totally, totally relying on Christ is a peaceful heart, a heart that is full of peace. And while this is surely a true statement, there is much more for us to consider within this verse regarding how we realize God's peace daily within our lives. So next week, Lord willing, we'll examine the importance of this truth in verse 6. But until then, may we glean from the truth which Paul has written that we too may live in this peace of God as he has provided for us in the person of our Lord Jesus Christ. As we live according to these exhortations provided by Paul, we will experience this peace. Philippians 4, 9, Paul again says, Those things which ye have both learned and received and heard and seen in me do, and the God of peace shall be with you. You know what Paul did? He counted his life and all that he once held to as though he could present some righteousness to God in what he had done, chapter 2, chapter 3 of this epistle. He counted all that but loss that he might know when experience Christ, who is superior. May we have that same desire. May we move out of the way that the Spirit of God work in and through us to his glory and to his honor. Let's pray together. Father, thank you again for the word of God and how you have given us your truth that we might grow, that we might glean, we might understand.